0: love what you hear be sure to check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes insights and even our D adventure hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter
1: back to finish the fight a gaming podcast where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form i am your host alex kendall and i am your host
0: derek baker and today we are talking about one of the games that has cemented itself in history as not only the most ported game um, but as one of the kind of most important fantasy games that we've seen over
1: the last decade or so
0: you know as it's shifted and been made multiple times
1: yeah this game um we've seen it on various consoles over the last 11 years um which is pretty crazy to think about you know this game really came out on the cusp of these extended life cycles and these extended development cycles and on top of that it sort of ushered in longevity that you could see through mainstream mods And the way that mods were released for this game, of course, there was a little bit of controversy there, but you could really see what the modding community could do for a game like this and make this game have that extended life cycle and still be fun to the point to where people are playing it today. That's absolutely it. I mean, Skyrim is a game that when it came out was
0: beautiful and groundbreaking and dragons and the magics that you could use. and then Alex was only just a basically shadow sniper the entire time, every time he played, yeah. but it allowed for so much in it. And it was so groundbreaking at the time. And like you said, like having modern communities, not just on PC, but eventually on console, putting it to VR. And it is always a joke of the ports that are done to it, but it has continued the life and it has continued new gamers on these later consoles to play what feels like a fresh version of it. And I'm very excited the Elder Scrolls series as a whole,
1: and I'm very excited for six, but today we are going to be talking about Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim is an action role-playing video game developed by Bethesda Game Studios and published by Bethesda Softworks. It is the fifth main installment in the Elder Scrolls series, following 2006's The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. It was released worldwide for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 on November 11, 2011. The game is set 200 years after the events of Oblivion, and takes place in Skyrim, the northernmost province of Tamriel. Its main story focuses on the player's character, the Dragonborn, on their quest to defeat Alduin the World Eater, a dragon who has prophesied to destroy the world. Over the course of the game, The player completes quests and develops the character by improving skills. The game continues the open-world tradition of its predecessors by allowing the player to travel anywhere in the game world at any time and to ignore or postpone the main story indefinitely. Skyrim was developed using the creation engine, which was rebuilt specifically for the game. The team opted for a unique and more diverse open world than Oblivion's imperial province of Cyrodiil, which game director and executive producer Todd Howard considered less interesting by comparison. Upon release, the game received critical acclaim with praise for its character advancement, world design, visuals, and dual-wielding combat, and is considered by many to be one of the greatest video games ever made. Criticism targeted melee combat, the artificial intelligence of dragons, and numerous technical issues. The game shipped over seven million copies within the first week of its release, and sold 30 million copies on all platforms by 2016, making it one of the best-selling video games in history.
0: Like we said, the re-releases of it bring it to a new game pool, increases the revenue stream of it, but it keeps it fresh. Um, and Bethesda did it right, and they're they're trying to do it with more of their properties with it. And I want to break down Bethesda as a whole. Um and, and kind of how it started and and where we're seeing it with the release of Skyrim itself. Prior to founding Bethesda Softworks, Christopher Weaver was a technology forecaster and a communications engineer in the television and cable industries. After finishing grad school, he was hired by the American Broadcasting Company, where he wrote several memos about the importance of alternative distribution systems and how satellites and broadband networks would impact network television, which Landed him the position of Manager of Technology Forecasting. After multiple national magazines quoted his article on the exciting prospects for cable distribution systems, he was recruited by the National Cable Television Association and created its Office of Science and Technology. In that capacity, he helped design high speed data communication systems for several member companies of the association. Eventually, Weaver became the chief engineer for the United States House Subcommittee of Communications where he influenced legislation that affected the telephone, television, and cable industries. In the meantime, Weaver had also founded Video Magic Laboratories with a friend from the Architecture Machine Group at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. They had put together a 400-page business plan to commercialize their prior lab work, and, through the Industrial Liaison Office at MIT, they came in contact with a wealthy family in the electronics industry that provided Video Magic with venture capital. The company developed several technologies, including location-based entertainment systems that Weaver deemed radical and cutting edge, but put out prematurely, causing little commercial return. The funding family, having financial issues of its own, dropped out of the venture and sold off some of Video Magic's properties. After leaving the House subcommittee some years later, Weaver established Media Technology Associates, Limited renamed Media Technology Limited in March 1988, which they established in June 1981. The company provided engineering and media consulting for private companies and government organizations. And they
1: had their offices in Maryland and New York. At Media Technology, Weaver worked with Ed Fletcher, an electrical engineer with whom he had collaborated at Video Magic on video games for laser disc-based systems until that industry crashed in 1984. While waiting for potential new contracts, the company acquired an Amiga personal computer with which the two began to experiment. Fletcher was a fan of American football and suggested that they develop a football video game for the system, which Weaver supported despite no interest in the sport. Fletcher developed the game, later named Gridiron, out of Weaver's house in Bethesda, Maryland, in roughly nine months. His initial approach was to use lookup tables to map player inputs to predetermined outcomes. Weaver disliked this concept, and at his behest, he and Fletcher devised a more realistic, physics-based system. No artists or animators were involved in the project, which gave the game a subpar graphical presentation for the time. Weaver formed Bethesda Softworks on the proverbial kitchen table. In his words, of his Bethesda home as a division of media technology on June 28, 1986. The formation was described as an experiment to, quote, see if the PC market was a viable place to develop games. Weaver originally named the company Softwork, spelt soft W-E-R-K-E, but found that the name was taken by a company based in Virginia. Weaver and the owner of that company agreed to coexist rather than fight over the title, and Weaver changed the name of his company to Bethesda Softworks. He had considered creating a unique name, such as one using the word magic, after a quote from Arthur C. Clarke, but Bethesda Softworks ultimately stuck. Unlike Video Magic, Bethesda Softworks was entirely self-funded, starting with roughly $100,000. It was not attached to any business plan. Gridiron Iron was released as the company's first game later in 1986 for the Amiga, Atari ST, and Commodore 64 systems. The initial release of a few hundred copies distributed in plastic bags was sold out within one week, to the surprise of Bethesda Softworks. Early
0: games scored, respectively, in the gaming press. Electronic Arts was working on the first John Madden football, and hired Bethesda to help finish developing it and acquired distribution rights for future versions of Gridiron. In June 1988, after no new cross-console version of Gridiron had been released, Bethesda stopped work on the project and sued EA for $7.3 million U.S. million, claiming EA halted the release while incorporating many of its elements into Madden. The case was resolved out of court. The first game Bethesda published and developed, based upon a popular film franchise, was The Terminator for The MS DOS. The title was released in July 1991, coinciding with the theatrical release of the film Terminator 2 Judgment Day. In 1994, the company released its best known project at the time, The Elder Scrolls Arena. The game, the first in the Elder Scrolls role playing video game series, was the work of programmer Julian LeFay, director, and producer
1: Vijay Lakshman, as well as others. For The Elder Scrolls II: Daggerfall, Bethesda developed X-Engine, a 3D game engine replacing the raycasting engine used for Arena. The engine was used in the Terminator Future Shock, Terminator Skynet, Daggerfall, and X-Car Experimental Racing games. In 1997 and 1998, Bethesda released two The Elder Scrolls spin-offs based on Daggerfall's code, Battlespire and Redguard, neither of which enjoyed the success of Daggerfall and Arena. The downturn in sales was not limited just to the Elder Scrolls franchise, and the company considered filing for bankruptcy as a result. In 1999, Weaver and Robert A. Altman formed the holding company ZeniMax Media, and in an interview with Edge, he described the company as being a top-level administrative structure rather than a parent company for its holdings. Explaining that ZeniMax and Bethesda, for all intents and purposes, are one thing, but Bethesda has no accounting department, We have no finance, we have no legal, and our legal department and our financial department is Zenimax. We all operate as one unit. Zenimax acquired Media Technology in July 1999, and Bethesda Softworks was reorganized as a division of Zenimax. In 2001, Bethesda Game Studios was established, changing Bethesda Softworks to being a publishing brand of Zenimax Media. In 2002, Weaver stopped being employed by Zenimax. He later filed a lawsuit against the company, claiming he was ousted by his new business partners after giving them access to his brand and was owed $1.2 million in severance pay. Cinemax filed counterclaims and moved to dismiss the case, claiming Weaver had gone through emails of other employees to find evidence. This dismissal was later vacated on appeal and the parties settled out of court. In 2007, the Fallout franchise was acquired by Bethesda Softworks from Interplay Entertainment, and the development of Fallout 3 was handed over to Bethesda Game Studios. On July 24, 2009, Zenimax Media acquired id Software, and between 2009 and 2012, the company expanded publishing operations with games from independent third party developers such as Rebellion Development's Rogue Warrior, Artificial Mind, and movements wet, splash damages break, and in exiles hunted the Demon's Forge. And so a lot of big moves being made by this company, especially after the t- or in the 2000s, rather. I don't know if you saw this, interestingly enough, on the Fallout topic. Bethesda has recently come out and said that even if they hadn't acquired Fallout, they were still planning on making a post-apocalyptic game which yes and and that was a, that was a huge thing at the
0: time and that's also another interesting story i'd love to tell about the bungle of fallout 3 and then how it made its way basically pennies on the dollar to bethesda um but yeah i mean th- that was around that time too that we saw a lot of studios trending towards that in the late 2000s getting that gritty browns and post-apocalyptic creepiness and. That, like, dystopia part of the future, I think, was coming, like, into the forefront of a lot of people, um, and it does. It, it has this shift from, at that time, uh, around those 2000s eras, of looking at Morrowind and Oblivion, um, which were these colorful, bright kind of games that allowed for a lot of that fantasy, the high fantasy to be involved into it, and then was like, how do we go on the total opposite? And then you get that gritty post-apocalyptic, dark humor of the Fallout series. And on that Fallout topic, let's jump into the development and what occurred as Bethesda started to increase the amount of projects they're working on. You know, originally we we're working on a lot of some third-party stuff, getting it published, getting a couple workings, but now on their own. So, having completed work on Oblivion in two thousand six. Bethesda Game Studios began work on Fallout 3. It was during this time that the team began planning their next Elder Scrolls game. From the outset, they had decided to set the new entry in the land of Skyrim, incorporating dragons into the main theme of the game. Full development began following the release of Fallout 3 in 2008, and the developers considered Skyrim a spiritual successor to both Fallout 3 and previous Elder Scrolls games. The game was developed by a team of roughly 100 people composed of new talent as well as that of the series veterans. The production was supervised by Todd Howard, who had been the director of several titles released by Bethesda Softworks. And when it comes to the design aspect of the game, the team set the game in the province of Skyrim, designing it by hand. While similar in size to Oblivion's Game World of Cyrodiil, The mountainous topography of the world inflates the game space and makes it more difficult to traverse than Cyrodiil, which was relatively flat. In designing Skyrim's world, the team opted for a different approach to what was taken with Oblivion. And art director Matt Carafano considered the epic realism of Skyrim's world design as a departure from Oblivion's generic representation of classic European fantasy lore. Howard expressed the team's desire to re-encapsulate the world of discovery of Morrowind's game world in Skyrim, as the return to the classic fantasy of Arena and The Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall in Oblivion meant sacrificing a world with a unique culture. As a way of creating diversity, the team divided the world into nine sectors, known as holds, and attempted to make each hold feel topographically unique from one another. In addition, the team wanted to reflect the socioeconomic background of the NPCs by making some locations elaborate and wealthy, while others are poor
1: and lower tech. I, so I want to go back just a little bit. I find the concept that this is not only a spiritual successor to the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, but also as a Fallout 3 successor, really interesting that, that they felt like this was really a hybrid between those two series and still decided to continue on, you know, making the Fallout games as well. I mean, do you agree that this game is really like a spiritual successor to both of those?
0: I would say in terms of setting and lore and continuing it within Elder Scrolls, yes. But also just the next-gen aspect of Fallout 3 into this. You you do see some combat mechanics that come back in melee combat. Um, you do see some of those aspects of how they changed up NPCs and how they act. So I would say almost more in an engine's sake for me, that's how I see like that success coming from it is like Fallout 3 was almost a testing bed for Skyrim just because with Fallout 3, they could start to experiment. It's a whole new IP. It's coming off of 1 and 2, which were more of this like very similar to the early Elder Scrolls, like point and click. Kind of go around and and answer questions in a way. I guess that's the worst way to describe it, but that <laughs> is how to describe it. Is is navigating terrain, you know, making sure your character stays alive and interacting with NPCs. And I think Fallout Three started the idea of that and started the shift of it, and also creating like your own lore and your own character designs in it.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Fallout Three really does a a nice job of. Uh, npc interaction and i think that Mm -hmm. that's like a nice thing that carried over into uh, skyrim and of course oblivion has npc plenty of npc interaction as well but i felt like fallout 3 did a better job of making those things very impactful to the character and that was carried over into skyrim as well where decisions were really just they were there but nothing is really like finite nothing is like. Totally world-changing, but it does impact the character, just not to like mm-hmm. a certain extreme that is so prevalent and in, in very like binary older school fantasy games.
0: I think that's exactly it. Is is it made the shift to almost randomness in a way. You have a little bit of that in past games, and it's much more easy, almost like a pen and paper way, uh, to put that in there. But to actually have like 3D rendered characters randomly show up for certain things it it changed that a bit more in my opinion yeah coming off that newer engine they built with fallout 3 versus some of their older engines even going just
1: right back to oblivion which was right before that yeah absolutely i just hadn't thought about it in that sense before but it makes a lot of sense and of course i agree you know the design that they put into skyrim definitely much harder to traverse uh when I play Skyrim, one of my favorite things to do is to just try and, you know, actually wander around for a while. I know that there are a lot of people that, now that they've played the game for as long as they have, they just want to fast travel to all these different places. Sure. But for me, it's still always a lot of fun to go out, and even if I've seen a place before or I, maybe I haven't, I feel like I always get sort of a unique game experience, but there are absolutely those moments where you had planned on going to this place and you find yourself having to try and jump up a mountain. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you could usually get pretty far, but you know, putting those things in the way and making sure that you actually have to go around certain pathways and sometimes actually stay on the designated paths between towns meant that there were more of those random NPC interactions and things like that, where you couldn't just beeline it to these next towns. So, you know, I like that they decided to do that and make it a little bit harder to traverse. It added to it. I mean, it
0: added in even the dragons themselves, which were in somewhat random, especially your first playthrough of not knowing where things might happen along those cases.
1: Like, that changed so much of it.
0: And... (laughs) It it really is. You're weighed
1: down. You're weighed down. You're trying to get back to the town, and all of a sudden, another dragon shows up. Oh, man. It's over. Yeah,
0: it it really does. And so I want to break down just real quick what the team wanted to do in terms of the different races, the different classes, and, and what's added in quests for that. Just basically what development brought into that. What was the decision making? So the team sought to make each of the game's 10 races feel unique. Howard considered the player's choice of race at the beginning of the game a more important decision than it had been in previous Elder Scrolls games because the culture of Skyrim's world contains more racism. It's it's much more politically heated at that time. However, he reiterated that the player's choice of race does not have major game-affecting consequences, as it simply adds flavor in different NPCs' dispositions towards the player, and is not meant as a way of locking players out of particular quests. Efforts to make Skyrim's world feel handcrafted extended the team abandoning the use of generated landscapes as they had done in Oblivion. While just one team member was charged with designing dungeons in Oblivion, Skyrim's 150 dungeons were designed by a group of 8 people. And Skyrim features 244 quests, over 300 points of interest with a map marker, and numerous unmarked locations that... Were such fun little Easter eggs from the crew where it's like you might find a skeleton next to this uh, like wand or this, this staff. And it's like, OK, what's the story behind this like unmarked random camping site where they attacked? Did they commit this magic? And when you look at the staff, you're like, oh, it's like a staff of fireball. They might have like scorched themselves. And this is how it happened. And I love that games add those little bits of things where you might just run by, find a skeleton, grab it. Cool. But people started to notice some stuff like that. It's like, what is this backstory of this random long dead NPC? What happened? And it does make that wheeled, that wield. It does make that <laughs> world feel more alive, even in death. But feel more <laughs> just you're part of it, and just so much more immersive in that way.
1: Yeah. When you're creating this type of game, I feel like the world building is so important. And so the emphasis on the holds and the entire map Mm -hmm. is so cool because sometimes in a game like this, you end up in a hold and that's where all the action is. That's where you're getting the constant NPC barrages to create this world where you are discovering those little Easter eggs You are having the random NPC encounters. Maybe you're avoiding, you know, thieves or assassins if you're on the road, but you decide to go off, or if you're off the road, but if you decide to go off the road, then you find yourself fighting a bear, a saber-toothed cat, or whatever. Like, there are consequences to all these paths that you take, and there's not, in my opinion, any boring parts of traversing the... Uh, the map because there's just always something to find or fight or something else. If you go from a hold to a hold without experiencing some kind of controversy or battle or character, I mean, it's a very rare occasion.
0: Even, even in the small stuff, like you said, of like finding a hunter that may be selling pelts or a hunter or hunter group. That's actually hunting an animal that's out there. Yeah. Or these random, you know, wizards that are out there that happen to come into those hunters and now a battle between them breaks out yep or or a passing guard like it's it's, it's such alive and, and like they did so well and that's where like i just said instead of just kind of painting it with you know an arbitrary brush of like let's just generate it and see what happens it's like right. no we're handcrafting we're putting these things in these are options that can happen when you're going along this way and it's really why Again, we can argue as much as we want about how silly it seems that Skyrim's been released 30 <laughs>
1: times.: Yeah. It's why it's still around, though. I mean, I'm still waiting to upgrade my refrigerator to where I can play Skyrim on that. I haven't quite gotten to that level, but uh, <laughs> almost soon, very soon.: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it is really cool, and we've talked about games in the past where uh, procedural generation is kind of implemented within a game to make it feel more unique. And I think that that does work, but this game sort of does that and takes it a step further where those random encounters really feel very natural and not just like a random sequence of events Mm -hmm. for the most part. And of course, I'm talking about in the vanilla gameplay, mods have even taken that and, and made those encounters more realistic and more special, so. So let's jump into the engine. Skyrim is powered by Bethesda's creation engine, forked from the Fallout 3 code base specifically for Skyrim. After Fallout 3's release, the team devised numerous design objectives to meet for Skyrim, and according to Howard, the team, quote, got all those done and kept going. Had the team not been able to meet their design goals with current hardware, they would have waited for the next generation and released Skyrim then but Howard felt that the technology of the time did not hold the team back at all. The creation engine allows for numerous improvements in graphical fidelity over Bethesda's previous efforts. For example, the draw distance renders farther than in previous Elder Scrolls games. Howard provided an example where the player can stare at a small object such as a fork in detail and then look up at a mountain and run to the top of it. Dynamic lighting allows shadows to be created by any structure or item in the game world, and the creation engine allowed for greater detail and flora production than Speedtree had in previous Bethesda games. For example, with Bethesda's own technology, developers were able to give weight to the branches of trees, which affects how trees blow in the wind. In addition, the technology allows wind to affect the flow of water and channels, such as rivers and streams. Because of the large presence of snow in Skyrim's game world, the technological upgrades were applied to weather effects and allow for dynamic snowfall upon the terrain instead of snow that was rendered as a textural effect in previous games. The team used Havoc's behavior toolset for character animation, which allows for a greater fluidity between the characters' movements of walking, running, and sprinting, and also increases the efficiency of the third-person camera option, which had been criticized in Oblivion. The toolset allows interactions between the player and NPCs to take place in real time. In Oblivion, when the player went to interact with an NPC, time would freeze and the camera would zoom in on the NPC's face. In Skyrim, NPCs can move around and make body gestures while conversing with the player. Children are present in the game, and their presence is handled similarly to Fallout 3 in that they cannot be harmed by the player in any way since depictions of violence involving children in video games are controversial. Skyrim uses the Radiant AI artificial intelligence system that was created for Oblivion, and it has been updated to allow NPCs to, quote, do what they want under extra parameters. The updated system allows for greater interactions between NPCs and their environments. NPCs can perform tasks such as farming, milling, and mining in the game world, and will react to each other. So those aspects of it,
0: again, is is the main improvement we see over Oblivion and where we see that draw of that spiritual successor from Fallout 3 is adding NPCs, being able to do more. And I think that's what people love, is what do NPCs do when I'm not doing anything to them? What makes this world feel more alive besides, you know, oh, hello, I am here waiting for you. What are you doing? Whereas like they have a day-night cycle. They might go in and sleep in their bed and close their shop up. They might be out, you know, hammering over at the anvil or in the the first little town you go to like in the sawmill working, you know, adding those things brings brevity and life to a game where you need to have the player turned that switch off of reality in a way where it's like, this is obviously a game I'm just in it for to get the quest done and then I win. You have to turn that winning sense off, and it's like, how do I get immersed in this? How do I have fun? How do I care about my character? And how do I care about, you know, joining the Stormcloaks or joining with the Imperials? Like, why do I feel that way? And when you add life to these NPCs and their daily routine, you do get lost in it a bit more versus just having
1: these pre-programmed characters be exactly where they're supposed to be and changing nothing that immersion is so important to a game like this because you don't want to walk into a hold and have everyone stop and turn at you because that's mm-hmm. not how it would work in any situation now i will admit it does feel a little bit silly sometimes when you're wearing like this crazy dragon bone armor like people probably would have turned and looked at you like Um, this guy definitely killed a bunch of dragons and made armor out of it. That's (laughs) pretty wild. So, you know, there are sort of moments like that where it's, it becomes a little silly, but for the most part, like if you go through the game and are just wearing like more casual armor and sort of trying to progress naturally and sure upgrade with your level, I think it all makes a lot of sense. And it makes the game much more immersive. And it's nice for you to sort of have to go and interact with people on your own accord. Because getting constantly stopped by people and, like they said, in that freeze frame thing that existed before. It's one of the most frustrating things when you're in the middle of doing something. And this person comes up and stops you and forces you to interact with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one likes that in, in video games. No,
0: not at all. And so like, the design work of it is expert. I mean, I think so many people followed after that. And we see the improvements they made with a bit of it in Fallout 4 and in, in future series' titles. And hopefully we're going to see a lot more whenever six drops in about 20, 30 years. <laughs>
1: I'm going to play it on my fridge at that point.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So let's talk about the marketing
0: aspect of it or bits of it. So Skyrim was announced at the Spike Video Game Awards on December 11, 2010. Howard appeared on stage during the awards and presented the announcement trailer, which introduced the game's story and revealed its 11-11-11 release date. It was the cover story for the February 2011 issue of the Game Informer magazine, wherein journalist Matt Miller wrote a 15-page article that revealed the first details about the game's story and gameplay. Asked about DLC packages in a June 2011 interview, Howard expressed the team's intention to release DLC, having done so for previous releases. He revealed that it was the team's goal to release a lower number of DLC packages that were larger in content than those released for Fallout 3, as he felt that releasing a large number of low-content packages was just chaotic. Via press release, the team announced that the first two planned DLC packages would release on the Xbox 360 via Xbox Live a month ahead of PC and the PlayStation 3. At the 2011 QuakeCon conference, the team unveiled Skyrim's Collector's Edition package, bundled with a copy of the game is a map of the game world, a 12-inch figure of Alduin, as well as a
1: 200-page concept art book and a DVD
0: feature about the making of Skyrim.
1: Make giveaways good again. Make Collector's Editions good again. Give, Give me more cool figures. I love it.
0: In October 2011, pictures of many pages of the manual of the game were leaked, later followed by footage from the introduction revealing some more details. By November 1st, 2011, a copy of the Xbox 360 version had been leaked and made available through the internet, allowing those with a hacked Xbox 360 to play Skyrim 10 days before its release. In the Netherlands, the game had been available for purchase since November 7th. On November 10th, stores in Australia began selling the game ahead of its November 11th release date. Just being like, hey, sure, go for break,
1: it. Break that street date. I know this Get tape says there. do not open till this day. I do not care. This is Skyrim we're talking <laughs> yeah. about.
0: I do not care about your do not open. It's like and a Dr. Do. Seuss book. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, I, they need to bring back more, and we've talked about this plenty of times. It's, it's our broken recordness, but it's a good broken record, and you should listen to it. Bring back cooler things for me to order, whether it's a pre order aspect of it or a collector's edition that's not just "Hey, you get gold armor in game." Cool. Yeah,
1: like I want like a <laughs> physicality to it, or something that is a lore book. Anything on the date that we are recording this right now, I saw the worst one I've ever seen for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. It's like 10 potions, 10 revives, and like five repels or something for a giveaway pre-order bonus. People are like, wow. what? You can, <laughs> you can, I mean, it's just a pre-order bonus, I guess. It's not a collector's edition like this, but people are like, sure. I can, I can just fight like two people and get all this. Like, why would I commit there to can. you? So that Pokemon go on the brain. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the the 12-inch figure of Alduin really really cool, the 200-page concept art book. And Skyrim's been so good about uh just releasing extra lore content, I think as a whole. And I think that yeah, people who enjoy games like this are willing to go out and get those things and you know dive into not just the concept art and and things like that or maybe the development cycle processes like uh, i've got some really good content on legend of zelda books but you know skyrim did such a great job just releasing extra lore extra content mm-hmm, that give mm-hmm, a new perspective to these vanilla uh missions within the game it, it it really changed up
0: so much about that in terms of marketing and being you know, 11 11 11 giving us a street date even going back the game was announced less than a year before it was released, I mean, I mean, we're that's my about favorite this is kind, kind
1: of game when they do. Yeah, that. I want. Then Beyonce release 6. at midnight, <laughs> random. They were good. All yeah. of a sudden, you it just it shows up.
0: But this is this is how games were. I mean, you you had maybe a year to market it and kind of put it out. Maybe you push it back one year, but you don't start marketing it ten years before you think you're even going to work on it. Looking at again, you Bethesda. The same company who did this in less than a year is like, Elder Scrolls,
1: Six. When's it coming out? Uh, <laughs> well, we talked about that. <laughs> I think in the Duke Nukem episode a little bit, where it's just there's sort of this pressure that then comes from these long development cycles of you have yep. to have this and this, and it has to be perfect. And you're the ex. You're just you're raising expectations. You're raising hype, but if you don't deliver, it's it's very dangerous, I think, and so I hope that by the time that they do announce that this game is coming out on a release date, they're 100% confident in that game, because if they have to push it back, if the game's not totally complete at that point, they they're playing with fire. Yes, so we shall see. It'll be interesting, but hopefully soon. <laughs> so... As we said, Skyrim is set 200 years after the events of the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, although it is not a direct sequel. Skyrim is a cold and mountainous region in the north of the continent Tamriel. It has traditionally been divided into nine administrative sections called Holds, each governed by a Jarl from a larger town. Of these settlements, five, Solitude, Windhelm, Markarth, Riften, and Whiterun, are richer and more powerful. The landscape is littered with forts, camps, and ruins, some of which were built by the now-extinct race of the Dwemer, or Deep Elves. While the Nordic race of men are the predominant race in Skyrim, the region forms one province of the much larger empire ruled by the Imperials. The empire has recently fought a war with the Aldmeri Dominion, a powerful confederation of elves, Who believe that they are racially superior to the races of men, such as the Imperials and the Nords. While the conflict known as the Great War ended in a military stalemate, the greatly weakened Empire was forced to sign a humiliating peace treaty called the White Gold Concordat.
0: While most of Tamriel worship a religious pantheon consisting of eight deities, the Nords of Skyrim are accustomed to worship nine, believing that the Nordic general Tiber Septim the founder of the empire, ascended to godhood after his death, becoming the deity Talos. The dominion, led by the intolerant Thalmor sect, rejects this notion since it implies that a man became greater than an elf, and thus instituted a clause in the Concordat which forbade Talos worship in the empire. This condition, which was received with great anger in Skyrim, was one of the principal reasons behind the rebellion of Ulfric Stormcloak, the Jarl of Windhelm, against the Empire's Imperial Legion. The game begins with the conflict between the Stormcloaks and Imperials finally poised. The race of dragons has long been almost completely extinct. The survival of the last, the sage Parthenax, is known only to the Greybeard Order of monks. Having ruled over vast swaths of Tamriel in the ancient past, Their hegemony was overthrown by the dragonborn warriors, humans who could absorb a dragon's soul and use the powerful draconic spells called shouts. Three of the most powerful even managed to cast Alduin, the black dragon foretold to consume the world, into the currents of time using an elder scroll, a powerful and mystical artifact. The dragonborn heritage persisted much later than the dragons themselves. Tiber Septim had been one but the last had died during the events of Oblivion. However, ancient Nordic prophecy maintained that when Alduin at last reemerged into the world, a last dragon born
1: would also appear to fight and defeat him. So pretty cool. And so this is, I know that we said setting, but it, this is setting up basically to the opening scene uh, of Skyrim. Yes. It's, and so there's a little bit of backstory, you know, within the, the true setting of this but yeah all of that information becomes very very clear when you're on that cart at the beginning the meme cart where it's mm-hmm. you know everyone has somehow worked that oh you're finally awake into some kind of meme it's a, it's a great start to it and,
0: and knowing that lore and history is is, is big i mean if, if you want to be more involved in the game or kind of an understanding of why do people not like elves here why do people talk in certain points and why is talos this kind of feared but mystified god, but not as you start, you learn a little bit about it as you start talking to some people who are not necessarily Nords and why the Imperials are like that, trying to maintain this balance. It is a big thing to have that as like a history of why and how this happened. That makes more sense of, okay, I'm a Dragonborn, that's cool, but what are they? Besides just the gray beards telling you, like, hey, you're Dragonborn, there you go. Like, what does it actually mean?
1: as like a, a culture of man and, and as the history of it. It, it. It's a really nice history to it. It is. And it's one of those things in this game that can be entirely overlooked because you do have mm-hmm. that ability to skip certain quest lines. And so as far as you're concerned, you could just be a guy with these crazy dragon powers basically very quickly on in the beginning of the game. And they say, Oh, you're the dragonborn," And then you could ignore everyone forever And not understand any of that backstory or why you are and just be this powerful being. But knowing that stuff, I think, would influence most players to make decisions Mm -hmm. accordingly to how they want to role play throughout the game. And so with that, prior to the beginning of the game, Imperial soldiers catch the Dragonborn illegally crossing the border into Skyrim and mistake them for a Stormcloak rebel a crime for which the player receives a death sentence. The execution of the player character by the Imperials in Helgen, a small settlement in Skyrim south, is interrupted when Alduin starts laying waste to the village. The player manages to escape through the tunnels underneath the keep and heads to the nearby village of Riverwood, whose inhabitants ask the player to inform the Jarl of Whiterun, a large town to the north, of the dragon attack. After meeting with Jarl Balgriff, and retrieving a tablet with information about the dragons from a nearby burrow on his behalf, the player kills a dragon which attacks nearby and absorbs its soul. After shouting, the player is informed that they must be dragonborn and is soon summoned by the Greybeard monks. After a long journey and climb up the Throat of the World, the tallest mountain in Tamriel and Home of the Greybeards, The Dragonborn is informed by Arngir of their heritage and role in stopping Alduin and begins their training. The Dragonborn is intercepted on one training quest by Delphine, a member of the Order of the Blades, who in ancient times had served the Dragonborn. Delphine arranges for the Dragonborn to infiltrate the Thalmor Embassy to gain information, and they learn that another member of the Blades named Esbern is hiding in Riften. When Delphine and the Dragonborn find him, he reveals that the ancient blades had carved a massive engraving in a temple in the Reach, an unstable region in Skyrim's west. This carving, called Alduin's Wall, depicted the dragon's defeat at the hands of the ancient Nords, and Esbern deciphers that those warriors had used a special shout to remove his ability to fly. The Dragonborn questions Arknir, who reveals that the shout
0: goes against the creeds of the Greybeards. He directs the Dragonborn to Parthenax, who lives on the summit of the Throat, to better conceal his existence. Parthenax reveals that although neither he nor anyone else knows the shout, Alduin's defeat through the power of an Elder Scroll had left a gash in time, and theorizes that reading a scroll would allow the Dragonborn to look through time and learn the shout from those who created it. Having delved into a massive Dwemer city called Blackreach, Far below the ground the dragonborn retrieves the scroll and reads it on the throat the site of the ancient battle Alduin arrives and fights with parthenax and the dragonborn who has learned the shout and overpowers aldwin who ends up fleeing the dragonborn learns from espern how to summon a dragon named odaving whom they trap in white run with jarl balgraf's assistance odaving believing that the dragonborn is mightier than aldwin turns on his former leader and reveals that he has gone to recover his strength in Savangard, the Nordic afterlife, where he feeds on the souls of the dead. Since the portal to Savangard cannot be reached on foot, Aldoving bargains his freedom in exchange for flying the Dragonborn there. Entering Savangard, the Dragonborn meets the three heroes who had defeated Alduin originally, and with their help, the Dragonborn slays
1: Alduin. You know, that's right. We're coming for them <laughs> dragons. The old dragons. It's its a cool story. It's its one of those
0: that I never... Again, my first playthrough, I think it was like 80 hours, and I barely touched that main story quest. I just yeah. kept going, like, seeing cool camps and jumping to cities and joining this guild and murdering stuff.
1: Yeah. it It's definitely a game that it's easy to get lost in, especially if you play it, like... I was saying where you really just walk by foot from place to place. Mm -hmm. You can get caught up in so many other things if you don't specifically try and stay focused on this one thing. But yeah, I mean, there's, I think like three main canon quests that it it just kind of starts you off on right away. And it's, you know, the Alduin quest and it's the Civil War quest and it's the Blades quests. And those three quests are really just kind of like there to, to get you started in the game. And, you know, obviously you don't have to finish them. You don't have to do anything with them. And it's cool that Bethesda sort of gave people the option if they didn't want to do that. Yeah. So and, and you can complete certain parts of certain quests without those things necessarily interfering with each other and really develop mm-hmm. what kind of character you want to be.
0: I think that's absolutely it. It's just so cool to not be like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, this is off limits until you do this thing. We can't unlock this until then. And it's like, nope, do whatever you want. Like, we're going to scale this stuff with your level and things will get harder as you go along. But there's never anything that's like exceptionally restricted except for like, you know, if a dragon does fight you, it is tougher early on.
1: Yeah, and you know, you can continue to go and and learn shouts and you don't Mm -hmm. learn... Uh, Fus Roda without the help of the Greybeards, but you can learn yep. plenty of other shouts and use those just by going into different dungeons and exploring and, and fighting people, but if you're going into this blind on the vanilla playthrough, you know, they at least set it up for you in a way to where all this backstory is there. It's pretty easy to figure out from the very beginning, you know, as long as you're talking to people, which is a staple for a game like this. And um yeah, it's definitely a cool story. Obviously a little bit of a Nordic Viking influence there with like Valhalla and Sovereign Guard and that entire concept.
0: Yeah. It, it really adds so much to it. Just to like, like you said, just the openness and I'm excited. I'm excited for more of this and, and you know, fallout, Gave us that bit of it of being, you know, here's the quest line. But honestly, go do whatever you want. And I think Bethesda
1: just done that so, so well. So again,
0: I'm very excited. Give me some cool stuff.
1: <laughs> you really want, uh, you want this podcast to be on Elder Scrolls Six right now? If only. Come on,
0: come on, Toddy boy, or as as I like to call Tommy you, more alone,
1: hot Toddy. Oh my god. Anyway, Derek, what do we got next? <laughs> yeah, let's hop over. We, we've touched on it a bit, but the expansions and mods, obviously the vanilla version of this game was uh, pretty robust. People started modding it pretty much immediately. And on top of that, um, they added a lot of gameplay, official gameplay through Bethesda. And the first was Guard, And it revolved around a battle between the Dawnguard and Clan Volkiar. The Dawnguard are a band of vampire hunters who rely on the use of their trademark crossbow weapons in their pursuit against Clan Volkiar, a family of vampires. Early in Dawnguard's quest line, players must choose which of the two factions to join forces with. Dawnguard adds new content to the game, including weapons, spells, and armor, and expands the abilities afforded to players who choose to become either a vampire or a werewolf. It also adds two new areas to explore outside of the mainland, Skyrim the Soul Cairn, which is a plane of the Realm of Oblivion, and the Forgotten Vale, which is a secluded glacial valley. Dawnguard released on the Xbox 360 in English-speaking territories on June 26, 2012, and in European countries in mid-July of that year, and it was released for Windows on August 2, 2012 via the digital distribution platform Steam. Performance issues on the PS3 hampered Donguard's release on that platform. It was released for the PS3 on February 26, 2013 in North America and on February 27th in Europe. Hearthfire was Skyrim's second add-on which allows players to build houses and adopt children. Three plots of land are added to the game world which players can purchase. Once land is purchased, players build a small, basic house, then select rooms to add on. The house and its additions are built from raw materials such as lumber and clay, which can be gathered or purchased. Players may also adopt up to two children and have them live in their home, along with the player's spouse. Hearthfire was released for the Xbox 360 on September 4, 2012, and for Windows on October 4, 2012. It was later released for the PS3 on February 19th, 2013, and February 20th in North America and Europe, respectively. Dragonborn is the third and final add-on for Skyrim, and it revolves around the player character's efforts to defeat Mirak, the first Dragonborn who has become corrupted and seeks to control the world. The add-on takes place on Solstheim, an island northeast of Skyrim, which is presented as an open world. It adds new content to the game and allows players to ride on the backs of dragons, along with other shouts that could be learned exclusively on the island. Dragonborn was released for the Xbox 360 on December 4th, 2012, for Windows on February 5th of 2013, and PS3 on February 12th of that year. In April 2013, Bethesda announced via their blog that they were moving on from Skyrim. And preparing to work on other projects. They added that they would only be releasing minor updates for the game. And I know that the people listening to this are going to love that statement that they were moving on because they re released this game I don't know how many times now.
0: I mean, they did move on to other systems and other generations (laughs) of consoles, being three of them at least. Yeah. But, yeah. Minor, just minor things. But those are, those are. Here's what I'll say about Bethesda. As much as their games are buggy because they're crazy open world games, their DLC is pretty good. It adds a lot in there. Fallout 3 added a lot in there. Fallout 4 even had some stuff that I really enjoyed with their add-ons. Yeah. And it was cool to see that. Something that's not just horse armor. Something that's actually like a a larger aspect to it. I think the expansions for this were great. Yeah. They're fantastic. Adding new lands, adding new stuff to do. It was cool. And, and the biggest add-on within Controversy at the same time was fan-made content. And like you said at the top of the episode, it's what led this game, not only the re-releases, but it's what has kept it going. Adding improvements to the engine, adding new features, weapons, characters, quests, all that stuff. And it was really made possible by Bethesda being pretty transparent about what you can do. And so, a wide variety of official and fan-created mods are available for Skyrim, which are generally made using the packaged creator kit that they gave out. These mods are distributed freely on file-sharing sites such as Nexus Mods and are also officially aggregated via the Steam Workshop's controlled content distribution mechanism. The mods may include features such as better game stability, improvements and tweaks of gameplay features, Significantly enhanced visuals, overhauled weather systems, new characters and locations, user interfaces, and so, 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 so much more. Some of the most basic and commonly used mods are the unofficial Skyrim patches, which simply address a huge amount of bugs the official patches don't. One exists for both the main game and the official high-resolution textures patch. Sky UI, which completely redesigns the game's menu screen to make it easier to use, as well as providing menu systems for other mods, is also a popular and highly recommended mod. Other quote-unquote essential mods, give or take, include a quality world map, which makes the game's map screen high resolution, or enables replacement with a paper map, and realistic humanoid movement speed, which adjusts the player's movement speed to make walking faster and running slower. Many Skyrim mods add new content to the game. The Falscar mod, contains a DLC-length adventure with 26 new quests in a new continent and was created as a job application. Its creator was later hired by Bungie. The Beyond Skyrim Bruma mod, released in July 2017, adds the county of Bruma from The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion and several new quests in the game. Skyrim is noted to have an active adult modding scene centered around the website Lover's Lab a 1.5 million member, quote, massive sex mod community. Its owner, Ashal, created a mod template for the game known as Sex Labs that enabled the creation of adult-themed mods by providing a, quote, foundation of thousands of animations and basic game function. While largely within the bounds of typical erotica, the mods also include numerous kinks, such as BDSM, with some containing a meaningful story. Many of these modders remain anonymous, as quote expressing sexuality in public or in the media beyond holding hands and kisses remains largely taboo. The sites' loose policies also allow controversial and disturbing content, although mods containing pedophilia are strictly banned. Yeah, Eric, I, that's I, a good call. I, I'm gonna be honest; I took it. I took it a little turn at that end
1: right there. Yeah,
0: yeah. But there's there's a lot there's 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 a lot to the modding community. Again, I, I threw that in there to show like. There are sites for that type of stuff, but there's so much added. And one of my favorite, favorite Skyrim mods that I use on every playthrough now, just because I cannot not use it, is a mod where, so you pick your race, then you pick like what style of character do you want to play? Kind of like, do you want to be like a spell sword? Do you want to be like a barbarian? Do you want to be like a nerdy wizard? Once you pick those combinations, It actually spawns you in somewhere in Skyrim relating to that. Like one I did was I was an orc barbarian. So you come to in an arena with like other orcs in a boxing match to see who reigns supreme in this village. Yeah. Again, you can only watch that intro scene even being memefied so many times for like, hey, can I just press the A button and skip through everything until like I start the game? Whereas with this, it's such a unique start and it's more fun. Like after you play the game so many times to kind of like role play it, like, okay, if I'm a barbarian, no magic and just big swingy weapons the whole time. Or if like I'm a nerdy mage, super weak, can't pick up a great ax, maybe uses a dagger, but it's mostly magic. And it makes the game, it adds a new element to it. That's a bit a bit of difficulty, but it just feels fresh.
1: Yeah. You know, Dragon Age did a really great job of that, depending on what kind of character you wanted to be, what kind of class Mm -hmm. of character you wanted to be, setting you up in these sort of unique backstories. Whereas Skyrim, you always end up in the same scenario at the very beginning of the game and you always end up on the same three quest paths. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone that is looking for that rejuvenated interest in the game or, you know, more of a motivation to play a character in a way that you hadn't before, I think mods like that are fantastic for things like that. Oh yeah. And on top of that, I you know, one of my criticisms of Skyrim, I guess, would be that while you can be anything, you can also be everything. Yep. So it's like if I want to be a guy that holds a shield and shield bashes and uses one-sword or of two-hands weapons or uses a two-handed weapon, you know, I can be all of those things in one character. As well as being a master damaging mage, destruction mage, mm-hmm. a master restoration mage, a master alchemist. I mean, I know like going for <laughs> like the perfect character is fun every once in a while at mm-hmm. the same time. It's also fun to sort of have a limitation on what skills you can really develop and yeah. sort of committing to playing a game in that sense. Yeah, I I think that's exactly, and
0: I think that's why I do like that intro now, is like, I'm going to put this restriction on myself to play as this character would be, instead of just being the Dragonborn, or who can learn everything whenever, it's more of like, this is who I am as this character, I'm playing almost as like a side hero, that's not this main hero that you know, it's I'm living my own life,
1: it makes it fun, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, the first time I guess I really thought about it more in that sense was when they released the Switch edition for Skyrim. Mm -hmm. I picked that up. I thought, okay, well, that's a fun thing. Like, I can take that on the go with me. That's cool. Well, what's a a character I want to start as? Well, they're releasing the Champion's Tunic and the Hylian Shield. Like, let me try and do, like, a shield, like a Link character. And then I thought about, like, you know, Link has, like, most of these skills already in some capacity like you know ocarina of time he can use dense fire he can use the Mm -hmm. electricity the ice the archery the sneaking the shield the agility the almost everything as well sure you know it's like once you're kind of playing that way and developing all of those things it it sort of i think takes away from the game so definitely i i agree like one of my favorite mods. So, of course, there was some controversy. In 2015, Valve Corporation announced a paid mods feature for Steam, with particular emphasis being placed on the Skyrim mods, and this led to a huge backlash, as well as a petition that gained more than 130,000 signatures. Parodic Skyrim mods were even created to protest the decision, such as Beth the Beggar, a character that will sit around your game and ask for money for no reason. A week later, Valve reversed the decision, stating that stepping into an established years-old modding community in Skyrim was probably not the right place to start iterating. And uh, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Another controversy involving Skyrim mods occurred in 2021, in which Nexus Mods stated that they would no longer allow older mods to be removed from their website following a 30 day grace period in order to prevent problems with the collections feature, which allows for batch downloading of mods. This caused a backlash due to modders losing control over their work, which led to many of them leaving Nexus Mods for other sites prior to the grace period ending. Arthmore, one of the game's most popular modders and the creator of Live Another Life, Open City Skyrim, and the Parthenax Dilemma, moved to the site AFK Mods instead, arguing that a modder had a legal right to delete their content. And I agree with that as well. You know, Mm -hmm. it's... uh, when When the company that releases the game is basically supporting mods, especially, you know, I, oh, yeah. I, even if they don't, I, I think mods are are fine, but especially when they are, you know, obviously open in support of that content to have these other outside companies that didn't create um, the original video game, which you and I have talked about, we consider them to be art pieces, and then on top of that, you know, to to control mods, which are then an art piece reminiscent of the original. You know, I, I just feel yeah. like you're, you're overstepping, you're overstepping and, and I agree with the backlash. Yeah. And, and I
0: understand, like, I understand Nexus want to be like 30 day grace period. Uh, Cause we don't want just like people get pissed off at us that mods are gone. Like we almost, almost an announcement period for that um, being like, mm, it's not going to leave. Sorry. It's going to stay forever um when it is like their own property they made sure it's based off an engine or a coding for that but they custom coded all of it themselves they may have created even assets and and stuff that they made yeah so for like a site to be like nope it's it's going to be here forever it's like mm, nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not it's going to be like when when we say it
1: is yeah yeah it is a it's sort of an uncharted territory but mm-hmm. i think that the benefit outweighs the negatives you know and maybe the people hosting these things are just not doing a great job of being upfront about what the expectations are for mods that are released on their platforms and made available. And, you know, I think that's maybe more of a more realistic conversation between modders and those hosting sites. But at the same time, like, I don't think that, I think that, you know, controlling mods in that sense or automatically charging for things is a little bit more of a, predatory practice Mm -hmm. it's taking advantage of what's already established exactly so in 2017 bethesda announced the creation club a storefront for fallout 4 and skyrim in which players paid for new content some of which was created by fans who were compensated by bethesda for their work this was compared by some critics to paid mods although bethesda did not characterize them as such to avoid backlash Skyrim Anniversary Edition was released in November 2021, containing 48 previously released Creation Club items, as well as 26 new Creation Club items. And so (laughs) this is sort of like the hybrid, I think, between the previous situations.
0: Yep. They try and make good on it. And it does. It does. If people go to it and they're like, hey, here's my thing. I'd love to make like a dollar per download or something like that. It's like, cool. Sounds great. Let's do it. And so it, it adds that in there, but again, it's to this point and how mods kind of always been, it's kind of always been like a, hey, this is our fans doing it. It's very cool. If we want to incorporate it, we might hire them or just buy it outright from them for this. Whereas this is kind of like almost gray market in a way of like, yeah, oh yeah, make some stuff for our games. Like We're doing a split because we made this website so you can sell it here.
1: I think it's the, so, the best happy medium until all yeah. that stuff can be really established and sorted out
0: totally agree i think they did the best they could with that with having like one of the most active modern communities for it and it's still panning out you're still getting new mods today with it now derek we all know the music of skyrim baby whether anyone has played any video game playlist or pump up playlist on spotify you have skyrim music on there especially the, your title song so i want to break down who kind of created that and why there's still such a hype with it. So the team employed Jeremy Soule to compose the music for Skyrim, who previously worked on Morrowind and Oblivion. The game's main theme, Dragonborn, was recorded with a choir of over 30 people singing in the fictional dragon language. Creative director Todd Howard envisioned the theme for Skyrim as the Elder Scrolls theme sung by a choir of barbarians. This became a reality. When the idea was passed to Soule, who recorded the 30-man choir and layered three separate recordings to create the effect of 90 voices. Bethesda's concept artist, Adam Adamwitz, created the Draconic language and also developed a 34-character runic alphabet for the game. He expanded the lexicon of draconic as needed. And Bruce Nesmith explained that words were introduced to the lexicon every time that the studio, quote, wanted to say something. Bethesda released four audio CDs along with the game on November 11, 2011. The soundtrack of Skyrim is sold via Jeremy Sol's distributor, Direct Song, and Sol autographed all physical copies ordered via Direct Song. Day one pre-orders from Amazon.de also included a five-track promotional Skyrim soundtrack sampler. A digital version of the soundtrack was released via iTunes on January 31, 2013. And now we have several different vinyl box sets, Volume 1, Volume 2, but the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Ultimate Edition Vinyl Record Box Set was available from the Bethesda store for $90 U.S. The deluxe package includes four colored vinyl LPs and a stunning full-color quad-fold jacket featuring beautiful artwork and iconic imagery from the game and is housed in a full-color heavy board stock slipcase. Additionally, the first pressing includes an etching of the Skyrim Dragon logo on the backside of the final disc on side H. Resales of this pressing go for up to $1,000 on eBay, with 67 sold at or around that price. And the voiceovers in the game include more than 70 actors and over 60,000 lines of dialogue. Casting director and production supervisor Timothy Cubison worked with Bethesda to evaluate auditions and oversee the recordings. The full cast consisted of three Academy Award nominees and several other high-profile actors, including Max von Sydow, Christopher Plummer, Joan Allen, Michael
1: Hogan, and Vladimir Kulich. This soundtrack is amazing. I love the soundtrack, Mm -hmm. and I have the the vinyl, uh, the Parthenax vinyl box set and it's um it is really cool man it's the song in white run just gives me so much nostalgia and and that's my favorite hold in skyrim just has like a really great peaceful tone in it but at the same time i love the dragon battle music i think that that's mm-hmm. fantastic i think that the um the Dovican theme overall is just really cool i and Doubling voices like that, um, like he did to make it seem like they're ninety. I mean, that's a pretty common thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's just uh, you know a matter of lefts and rights and reverb and you know just just trying to give you that that big wide stereo experience. But I feel like he executed mm-hmm. that really really well. And this is legitimately like I see video game soundtracks sometimes on vinyl, and there are really only a few that I could realistically i think just put on the same way that i put on any other record in my collection and skyrim sure. is one of them it, it really is like a peaceful record it's it's rel- relaxing if you want to be doing stuff around the house or if you want to be you know playing the, the actual game i feel like it's another great part of the immersive experience of skyrim absolutely and so Let's get into everyone's favorite part of the episode. It's the release versions of Skyrim. So, of course, there was a remastered version in addition to our 11-11-11 version. And on June 4th, 2016, Bethesda announced the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Special Edition, a remaster for the PS4, Xbox One, and Microsoft Windows. It was released on October 28th, 2016. Windows players who owned the original game and all of its downloadable content on Steam were offered the special edition for free. That's pretty cool. The remastered version contains an upgraded game engine as well as numerous graphical enhancements along with mod support on consoles. And of course, there were the other versions. In October 2016, the reveal trailer for Nintendo Switch featured gameplay of Skyrim on the console. At the time, it was reported that Bethesda only used the game for the reveal trailer and that it was not officially releasing on the Nintendo Switch. But on January 13th, 2017, Todd Howard confirmed that the game will come out on the Nintendo Switch, making it the first Elder Scrolls title to be released on a Nintendo platform, as well as the first game Bethesda has confirmed to be released for a Nintendo home console since Home Alone for the NES in 1991. During Bethesda's E3 2017 showcase, it was revealed that the Switch version will support Amiibo and the Joy-Con motion controls. And that's a little bit of fun. Yeah, you get some Mm -hmm. little treasure chests and things like that. At E3 2017, Bethesda announced a PlayStation VR version of Skyrim for release in November 2017. A standalone VR port of the game was released the following year on April 2nd, supporting the HTC Vive, Oculus Rift, and Windows Mixed Reality headsets. A parody of Skyrim's numerous ports and re-releases titled Skyrim, very special edition, was released by Bethesda at their E3 2018 press conference for Amazon Alexa, with them also saying it would be also released for the Etch-a-Sketch. Motorola Pagers, and Samsung Smart Refrigerators. That's what I'm talking about. Give me that (laughs) fridge version. The Alexa version was found to be a legitimate version of the game developed by Bethesda, playing off the joke that the studios had seemingly ported Skyrim to all possible platforms following its E3 2017 announcements. So,
0: yep. A lot out there. Uh, A lot to go along with it in the version standpoints. And I want to break down some of the compilations and just other iterations that they had with it. Just because, like we said, there's far too much for it. (laughs) (laughs) Just a few. Uh, Just a few. Just a few. So, as Derek had mentioned, a compilation package called The Other Scrolls V Skyrim Legendary Edition was released on June 4th, 2013. It contained the version 1.9 patch and the three expansions along with the main game. As part of Skyrim's 10th anniversary celebration, another compilation titled The Elder Scrolls V: Skyrim Anniversary Edition was released in November 2021 for Microsoft Windows, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series XS. It includes all the content from Special Edition, over 500 Creation Club elements, and introduces the ability to fish and play your own aquariums.
1: I gotta get back to Skyrim now, Derek. Hey, man,
0: I haven't played—I haven't played since before 2021, but aquarium hey Aquariums.
1: the last one i bought was the switch version and you just sold me aquariums the ability fish, to fish
0: I, I know i know a man over here who loves
1: to fish in games so hey Derek, man. welcome back that's right stardew valley <laughs> except upgraded let's go <laughs> let's go
0: um there were a couple related games to skyrim as well and while skyrim was being ported to next gen systems Zen Studios also developed a virtual pinball adaptation of the game as part of the Bethesda Pinball Collection, which became available as part of Zen Pinball 2, Pinball FX2, and Pinball FX3, as well as a separate free-to-play app for iOS and Android mobile devices. A Skyrim-themed expansion for the digital collection card game The Elder Scrolls Legends, titled Heroes of Skyrim, was released on June 29, 2017. And then we'll break down just a little bit of the legacy. I mean, we all know what this legacy holds. It's in meme culture. It's in video game history. But it does have a bit of influence. And critics often consider Skyrim among the best video game of all time. Skyrim has been credited by developers as a direct influence on later games, such as Valheim and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild the game has received credit for popularizing large-scale open worlds and fantasy role-playing games, influencing the settings of installations of the game series such as The Witcher and Dragon Age. Skyrim spawned a number of noteworthy internet memes that circulated as image macros or video parodies and achieved viral popularity. These include the dragon shout Fusro Da and variation and adaptations of the phrase, I used to be an adventurer like you, Derek.
1: Then I took an arrow in the knee. Well, at least at least we've got that. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> hey, everybody, bring it back, please. I don't think it ever <laughs> left. I really don't. I think I saw that mentioned yesterday on a Facebook post by chance. Someone had never <laughs> seen that before. Legitimately, they were like, oh, my gosh, a Skyrim reference. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> Did you just sign up for Facebook? But that's neither here nor there. And do you know why that was the first time they saw that, Derek?
0: That's because during an interview in 2018, Todd Howard attributed Bethesda's frequent re-releases of the game to the millions of people still playing it. It's so, true. You know, it's that kid person.
1: might be 11. I don't know. That's, yeah, so. you don't know. They
0: might, have been, they might have been fishing and trying to fill their aquarium and it was like, I've never been to Run, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know when guards say anything. <laughs> That's true.
1: Forget Bass Pro Fisherman type video games. You could just play Skyrim. Derek,
0: okay. No one listen right now. This is a secret. What if we release a fantasy-based fishing game? And it is Bass Pro, but it's just hunting down legendary fish in fantasy environments.
1: Well, Red Dead Redemption 2 kind of did that.
0: Those are kind of real fish. I'm talking about crazy
1: fantasy fish. Okay. Let's, right, develop, let's work on again. this game. We'll develop this <laughs> together. This is good. Good. Secret, it's and I too. trust all of our listeners will not steal the idea or sell it. Thanks, yeah. guys. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so during the first day of release, going back to that 11-11-11, mm-hmm. Steam showed over 230,000 people playing Skyrim concurrently. Within two days of the game's launch, 3.4 million physical copies were sold, and of those sales, 59% were for the Xbox 360, 27% for the PS3, 14% for the PC, that's right, Xbox 360 Master Race. (laughs) In the first week of release, Bethesda stated that 7 million copies of the game had been shipped to retailers worldwide, and that total sales through the following Wednesday were expected to generate an estimated U.S. $450 million. By December 16, 2011, this had risen to 10 million copies shipped to retail and around $620 million, so
0: about
1: $170 million increase. Shortly after its release, Skyrim was the most played game on Steam by a huge margin, with double the number of players as Team Fortress 2, the second place game. In June 2013, Bethesda announced that over 20 million copies of the game had been sold. Regarding sales to the PC, Todd Howard stated in an interview with Rock Paper Shotgun that, quote, Skyrim did better than we've ever done on PC by a large, large number. And that's where the mods are. That feeds the game for a long time. You're right, Todd. Mm-hmm. Electronic Entertainment Design and Research, a market research firm, estimates that the game has sold 22.7 million copies worldwide. In November 2016, Howard announced that Skyrim had sold over 30 million copies. Skyrim received critical acclaim upon release. The removal of the character class system present in previous The Elder Scrolls entries was well-received. The art style of the game world drew acclaim from many reviewers who welcomed the departure from Oblivion's Cyrodiil. Jason Schreier of Wired described the land of Skyrim as a Viking-inspired treasure trove of flavor and charm, noting its contrast to Cyrodiil, which he considered generic by comparison. Many reviewers praised the large number of things to do in the world outside of the main story reviewers welcomed the ability to dual-wield weapons and magic. An editor for PC Power Play felt that the dual-wielding ability, quote, transforms the tactical scope of each combat encounter. However, reviewers were critical of the melee combat, feeling that it had not been improved upon as much as other areas in the game. Justin McElroy of Joystick, felt that, quote, what should be thrilling fights in Skyrim are often weighed down by the same clunky melee system Oblivion suffered from. I can agree with some of those criticisms. I I do think the melee is a little... It's like, yeah, you're hitting buttons, but at the same time, it's reminiscent of those old-school RPGs where you're just letting your character swing at something and it's a miss or it's a hit or it's... Yeah, something it's else. It's floaty.
0: It's yes. very floaty. It doesn't. It never feels meaty. I do like. I, I will say this. I do like that they added in like a kill camera, and you'll do like a sweet oh, like yeah. head chop or something cool. Like that feels meaty. Or whenever you fire an arrow and you get that like slow motion, like following that thing goes. And that's through. what I always
1: t- know. I made the perfect shot. Yeah, I'm stealth right up that w- some kind of elk. <laughs> right oh, up that so elk's good. ass. <laughs> that's how you know. <laughs> Of course, the game received minor criticism in several other areas. The quality of the main quest divided some reviewers. While the dragon battles were well-received, some reviewers observed flaws in the AI for dragons. Many reviewers noted glitches while playing Skyrim, some game-breaking. Nick Cohen of The Guardian pointed out that the game's glitches were a trade-off for its ambitious scope and that he had experienced glitches that forced him to reload earlier saves. So um, I definitely agree with the dragon AI thing because uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you'd be in the middle of a fight with one of the dragons, but they'd see they'd fly away and see an elk or something and start fighting <laughs> yep. it. And it's like, wait a minute, man. Like, I don't want to chase this thing down. I just spent 700 arrows. He's almost killed me like. How do you just ignore a dragon? You want the dragon's souls. It's a a massive part of the game. Mm -hmm. And it just flies halfway across the map. I agree. That was 100% frustrating. But also justified in that same statement of saying it
0: is, it's grandiose. It was insanely ambitious to do all this. So, like, you're not going to, even if you hired a thousand playtesters, someone's still going to find something that breaks their game somewhere. When you're doing all of this, because not everyone jumped on that chair, grabbed that fork, looked left, looked right, then jumped slightly taller to get stuck. You can't necessarily always predict those things. Absolutely. So but it is, it is insanely ambitious. And it's they did fix a lot of it over time, and modders brought it up to fix the rest of it.
1: <laughs> Crowdsourcing finishing games. Is that is that the new era? I mean, that's pretty much where we are.
0: But to wrap this up, at the launch of Skyrim. (laughs) Okay, yes, we'll use, that will be used. Please, everyone, bring that back. Bring that back above all meme culture. Just throw it on everything. It'll, everyone will understand. It'll be beautiful. (laughs) But at the launch of Skyrim, many technical issues of varying severity were reported. Some examples include a texture downscaling issue on the Xbox 360 version when the game was run from the hard drive. Crashes, slowdown, and frame rate issues in the PS3 version when some save files exceeded 6 megabytes, commonly occurring due to extended gameplay times, and various crashes and slowdowns on the Windows version. According to Skyrim's director Todd Howard, the notion that bugs were caused by, quote, restrictive RAM is incorrect. Howard says, quote, it's literally the things you've done in what order. And what's running? Like, we didn't restrict it. It just so happens to be, like, what you're doing causes these things. Since release, several patches have been published to address technical issues and improve overall gameplay. And critics often consider Skyrim among the best of the video games of all time. And within that, like, we have to fully agree that... I know we say that phrase for most everyone, not Duke Nukem, but most everyone else kind of falls in that best video games of all time. Bubblegum to the knee, fired. (laughs) And I want to to shrink that down and say, yes, it's one of the best video games of all times, but it's there because not only is it a fun, engaging, creative game, but it shifted the industry. It made open-scale things plausible on these consoles. And yes, Morrowind and Oblivion were open world in a way, and they definitely were. But getting that scale, getting that, for the most part, load times down so it didn't feel like you were loading for 30 seconds every time you opened or closed a door. And it felt so much more jointly together instead of an open landscape where there was things to do, but everything between it was desolate. It brought that to life. And so I think to expand on this more, Derek, as always, let the people know, why do we choose this game and what do you think of it?
1: This is a 10 out of 10 game for me. You know, I, I've i experienced plenty of issues within Skyrim, and I go back and I play this game now, and I can see the, you know, I play the vanilla version and can see a lot of the graphical um, age within the game, and mm-hmm. I can see a lot of the issues compared to modern games that I that I also love and enjoy. But this game really was such an incredible, immersive RPG experience, a great single-player experience that I feel like a lot of publishers now are just getting away from because it's expensive to make. It is ambitious. And people have short patience for things that don't work. And so Bethesda making a game like this and attempting to hopefully improve upon this and elder Scrolls six and committing to it as long as they have i think are running a little bit of a risk in that in in the way that the industry has changed i think that skyrim does a really nice job just immersing you and creating an environment and letting you be yourself and the only criticisms i feel like that Exist from this game are from people that have played it so much that they've noticed so many little details or things that they think could be improved upon. And it's not to say that those things aren't valid criticisms or things that do sure. need improved upon, but there is a reason why those things did become an annoyance to players. And it's because this game was so good and so addicting that people made mods for it for years and years and years, are still playing it, still love it. I don't see how anyone can pick up Skyrim and just say, I hate this game. Maybe you didn't love it. Maybe it's not a 10 of a 10 game for you. But this game exceeded a lot of my expectations and, and delivered so many things so well that it's really hard for me to find a peer for it. I mean, I really do love this game. So that's my review. What about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, for me, is one of those things where it's so exciting at midnight to go pick this up and just skip school and just kind of play Skyrim for it. And um, one bug I do want to address that we haven't addressed really yet in the episode, surprisingly, that they've kept in because it was so silly and the community responded so ridiculous to it is the bug with the giants. <laughs> Where if a giant hits you, <laughs> yeah. you are blasted to the stratosphere. And it was an oversight uh, that happened, but it's such a beloved, dumb bug that it's stayed. And, like, you just know, like, even even if you can, like, two-shot these giants now, yeah. it does not matter. You are... <laughs> gone
1: there (laughs) it's it's really funny you know obviously because this game's been released so many times there are still new players to this that'll post videos like um i just so i just started playing this game (laughs) and this happened it's like okay welcome to skyrim it's it's so much fun to have like those little things where like
0: they could have patched that out and it could have been, you know, and it could be that they wanted giants to one hit you, but not launch you to the stratosphere. It's just, you die. And like, that's like, that's more frustrating than anything. But like when you first get hit, you're like, what? (laughs) Let me try Um, that again. And then like, it happens again. And like your player model is just bouncing all over the place, getting ripped in half. And it's, it's such beloved things. And that's really why I think if you want to wrap up and actually that'll be my review. If you want to wrap up skyrim in one thing it's getting whacked by the giant and going to space like if, if anyone asks there's never played skyrim or like you said like your 10 year old cousin or whatnot is like what's skyrim okay well here's skyrim uh there's giants um and there's space <laughs> so that's right space that's giants. A good review right there it's space giants space giants is really all you need to say and everyone goes ah Skyrim, I see. I see.
1: You're a man of culture, my friend. Just say giants, mammoth, rocketed into space, and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. It's
0: 100%. So we've talked about a lot of the good things of it. There's not much more I can really add that you guys don't already know or or love about this game. And and I can just, you know, I I just pine for Elder Scrolls 6. I haven't played online, to be fair. I'm not a huge, like continuation World of Warcraft-esque style gamer. So like online wasn't for me. I played a little bit of it, but I'm excited for a standalone game. Whether we get multiplayer in it or not, I
1: just want to play some more of that. So please give me. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was recorded and composed by our friend Evan Barr. And our lovely artwork was provided to us by Aaron Shattuck.
0: As always, we are some beautiful people, and so are those who support us, which is all of you. But if you want to support us a little bit more, check out our Patreon, where we've got a bunch of exclusive content, bonus episodes, physical gifts, and fun trinkets and whatnot. And I want to thank and thank, because we're playing Battleship, some of those people today, starting with Sky the Bear, Duststorm, Mr. Choff, Snide T Bird, that LL Gamer Guy, Jimmy Sneed, Nick Hyman, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, irby Spicy, Lee Tom John, Keller Kane, Big Parrot333, and Brian
1: Yost. So thank you all so much for the support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or also on Discord. It is free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, having a lot of fun. As well as members of our community talking about recent game releases, old game releases—it doesn't matter. Just come by, and we'd love to see you there. And of course, you can catch us
0: both on Twitch. You can catch me over at Twitch.tv/sourman70. That's Twitch.tv/sourman70. Or Derek over at Twitch.tv/thebakerman247. That is Twitch.tv/thebakerman247.
1: This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform if you haven't yet. Participate in one of our Q&As on Spotify or leave us a review. We love to hear from you guys and it helps us out a lot.
0: That has been our coverage of The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Have you bought every edition of it? Are you a true gamer? That's really the questions we have to ask today. And are you excited for the next rendition of
1: it when your grandkids get to play it?
0: Let us know. (laughs) As always, I am your host, Alex Kendall.
1: And I am your host, Dovahki.
0: And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.